Hello listeners, and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. In this week's pod, we turn our attention to a key power cable linking the UK market with the Netherlands. How have post-Brexit trading arrangements impacted flows on the interconnector, and what's the outlook going forward? How has the electricity link contributed to energy security in Northwest Europe? Has it lowered the energy dependency on countries such as Russia? Helping me, Richard Sverson, to talk about these issues and much, much more are Niels Taipei, Commercial Operations Manager at Britnet, and Daniel Homoki Farkas, Managing Director at Supercharge. A warm welcome to you both, gentlemen. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. I want to start, Niels, maybe I'll direct these questions at you to start off with. I'll talk a little bit about post-Brexit energy training arrangements and the general regulatory environment. Did the energy system or the energy markets get a no-deal Brexit? And what does that actually mean in practice? That might sound a bit harsh, but I think, yes, that's the case. I think in the end, with the dropout of the internal energy market for the UK and therefore the dropout of the single day ahead coupling, it feels a bit at least like a no deal Brexit on the energy side. I think uh, we've been, of course, also kind of dropped out of the developments of the further integration of the XBIT markets or the intraday implicit markets. And since then, the progress on especially the short-term trading arrangement has been very limited. Mm. Has that increased costs? I think it has been increased costs for the consumer. Um, I think uh, what we, of course, see less price convergence between the countries, therefore um, higher energy prices and also flows against price differential. For the interconnectors as such, it has not necessarily uh, increase the cost. So, what are the current trading arrangements? I mean, the, you know, you mentioned XBID, the the day ahead and intraday market coupling. Uh, the UK is not part of that. Up until Brexit, all the interconnectors that were present to that time had been part of the single day ahead coupling or the European coupling, and a couple of the uh, continental ones had already joined the XBID uh, intraday arrangements. And then, at, when Brexit came around the corner, basically we were moved back approximately. 10 years, and we kind of uh, had to revert back to they had explicit trading. So since then, every border to the UK has its own uh, they had explicit auction set up. Different timings of the auctions are uh, used. Therefore, there's um, much less harmonization across the auction setups. And the same applies to intraday. So every interconnector runs now a different intra- intraday trading setup, selling different blocks of the day at different times in the day. So again, the harmonization or the, the kind of alignment between the borders is not a given anymore. It is a bit complex, and I think it's especially a lot more complex for the parties that are trading on it, uh, because they kind of need to keep all these arrangements basically in, in check and kind of uh, work with it. So I think where it kind of makes sense perhaps on the on the long-term products to give a bit more freedom and actually allow for a different trading setup and different products, I think on the day at an intraday market, it would be actually needed to, yeah, get things a bit better together again and actually harmonize it a bit more to the European setup. Is there any way that the UK can join those continental market setup? In the trading cooperation agreement between the UK and the EU, there is an article in there or multiple articles that foresee the setup of a multi-regional loose volume coupling. Um, So a new implicit setup with the UK. But it's so far, it has not been moved a lot forward. Um, There's a lot of unclarities around how this should work. And I think also there's a lot of concerns that 
how this multi-regional loose volume coupling should really work with a single day head coupling on the European side, which is well established and actually working perfectly well. And I think from a pure economical perspective and trading perspective, I think most people would probably wish to just rejoin the European day head coupling, but that's blocked by political matters. Okay, that's, yeah, that's quite a political hot potato. But Daniel, if I can turn to you, it, it's not all been bad news, has it? I mean, Brexit has allowed, especially you guys who developed the platform or empire, um, to get the freedom to develop in the way that you wanted. Yes, that's correct. So previously, during um, whilst the UK was part of the EU, um, every single allocation had to happen on one single platform called JAO, the Joint Allocation Office. And by obviously the UK leaving Brexit, this freed up um, Britnet and other interconnectors to leave JAO and build their own platforms, such as we did with Empire. And to, to connect back to what Nils has said, obviously interconnectors losing out on the implicit day ahead and intraday allocations means that now intraday products are a little bit all over the place. And by Britnet going to their own platform, this will allow the freedom for Britnet to offer, for example, even 24 individual intraday products, which is going to help uh, significantly to stabilize the, the grid and obviously offer a larger flexibility for market participants and TSOs to counteract some of the changes which is occurring right now due to the renewables and, and everything else that's going on. Exactly. How, how have your customers reacted? Uh, um, I think overwhelmingly, the feedback was very positive. Um, it's obviously a very new customer-centric platform where long-term day and intraday allocation and nomination is all happening under one roof. So that's definitely positive. There was, of course, some resistance to change, which is to be expected. But overall, I think every single market participant is, is happy with, with the new offering. And Britnet is going to roll out new products to the market, first time ever in a couple of weeks. So again, we are really interested to see how the uptake of that is going to happen. Niels, if I can then turn to you and more about the general regulatory environment. I mean, it, it's all a bit messy. I mean, we've just had um, in the week where we're recording, there's been a cabinet reshuffle. Obviously, there wasn't a change in the industry minister in, in the UK, but there have been a few over the past few years. There's been policy U-turns, you know, basically rolling back some of the green policies that were key for, for the government here. What, what does that do to your commercial operations? How, how can you operate in this kind of very uncertain way, uncertain context, rather, I should say. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think what we have seen after Brexit was a bit of um, a bit of an empty space in terms of the regulatory framework. Uh, some of the uh, European market codes were uh, pulled over as statutory instruments into UK law, but not all, and for some of them also only parts of it. So it was actually not easy as an interconnector operating between the two frameworks, finding out what is now applicable and what is actually now um, the rule to follow. So that has been challenging for us. I think we, we kind of took at some point uh, the position that we make most out of it really do what is possible in terms of what is best for for the trading setups what is actually good for our customers and therefore operate in a way until somebody kind of uh, holds us back or a regulation holds us back and that has worked out well so far so you're almost kind of proceeding ahead in spite of uh, the policy environment rather than because of yes because i think we we do obviously have an in or vital interest or a general interest in offering the best trading solution i think this should be also in, in line with what our governments want uh, what the traders want so therefore we indeed just basically try to step a bit ahead of it and not necessarily always wait until 
all regulation has been falling into place. And obviously, we are part of the discussion on the regulation as well. So we're trying to make sure, of course, that it is still in line with it. And otherwise, we will need to fine tune our setups. But overall, I think that's that's currently the case. I think what, what concerns us a little bit at the moment is more on the emission schemes. We obviously have a UK ETS and we have a European ETS. And what, what concerns us is now the carbon adjustment mechanism that has been basically set up just by the European Union. And this could have actually detrimental impacts on interconnector trades because it might mean that additional charges would be applied to interconnector imports and exports, which would then mean it basically kind of lowers the spread, makes it less viable to trade across borders. And that is, of course, something that we would hope that it could be avoided because it simply cannot be good for social welfare. Talk us through that sort of uh, calculation there. How, how does it impact the, the technicalities of, of, of trading on, on those cables? We're also still in the in the uh, position or in the situation where we're trying to exactly figure out how CBAM or the carbon adjustment mechanism should be applied. How we understand that it could be that you basically have to integrate a bit of an additional price step into your spread calculation between the two markets, simply to to pay the levies, pay the pay the tax uh, for the for the carbon emissions. If it is deemed to be different between the UK and the EU, and in that case, let's say you have a euro price spread between the UK price and the and the Dutch price or European price, it it might mean that you have to pay 20 cent carbon tax, which means actually your spread is only 80 cents. And that is okay if it's one euro and it's 80 cent left, but it's not okay if it's 20 cent and there's nothing left. So therefore, there would be no flow anymore and actually a viable trade that should actually happen to to support each other's network and also to just generally uh, make use of the price difference uh, would not happen anymore because it's kind of eaten up by the tax. So if you look back at sort of historic prices over the last sort of year or so, how often would that resulted in no flows? I think especially now um, and especially after the whole gas crisis in Ukraine, it would have happened more often. I think we have seen, especially last year and this year, a lot more volatile flows. So where the years before we have been pretty steadily flowing into the UK with quite a clear price difference towards the UK. Um, this has kind of flipped multiple times now and is does flip multiple times uh, during the day, every day now. And the price differences are not that clear anymore. So you will uh, have this situation way more often. Uh, currently, we also see negative day ahead prices in the in the Netherlands, basically caused by mostly by an overshoot of, of uh, solar uh, input. Um, so that that kind of would trigger the situation more often that you would actually create no flow or have such an uncertainty in the market, especially with the missing implicit trading solutions that you would just not find a trader who is willing to basically schedule a flow like but, that. But in terms of the platform itself, Daniel, that's robust enough to deal with these these incredibly complex markets where you've got negative prices in one market, lower in the other. Um, yes, that's correct. So the platform itself is flexible enough to deal with, I think, pretty much anything that Witnet throws at us in the future to, to create new products and obviously counteract any kind of market volatility and try and keep the flow and generate interconnection between the UK and the Netherlands flowing and, and up and running. But it, but if I understand you correctly, Niels, there there could be situations where people just decide I'm not not going to trade on the interconnector at all. That could happen. 
and um, I think for for some for some reason or, or for the reason that we would like to be ready for any kind of circumstance going forward, we have also created this new platform because there is a sufficient flexibility to offer different types of products um, that might overcome some of these issues. But yes, absolutely. I think with with the uh, with the challenges that um, the carbon adjustment mechanism brings, and the current volatility of the market, and the lack of implicit trading solutions currently on the UK interconnectors, that is absolutely in the in the realm of possibilities. So it's not in a way just the carbon border adjustment mechanism. It's also the uh, I mean, it, it's more that than the ETS. The, the ETS price is the or the combination of the two or the three. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a, it's a sum of things, really. It's like where you had a very clear steer when you when you were part of the day had market coupling. It was algorithm based trading. Every cent was utilized in terms of price spreads. Then even with a carbon adjustment mechanism, you would have a clear steer if there is. Let's stick with the example of twenty cents uh, tax. If there would be a twenty-one cent price difference, it would schedule a flow. But a human being, a trader, would not schedule a flow for a cent. And so you will it basically adds up so all these kind of different aspects of the of the trading setup will make it or are making it more complicated you know in in some countries more and more i'm hearing around the concept of interconnectors that it's very problematic i mean it's politically very difficult especially in areas that have historically low prices so the the connector will then raise prices in those markets what what do you say to the people that are very skeptical about about the role of interconnectors i know you have a very very clear stake in this uh niels and and, and daniel but what, what would you say to these the skeptics out there that you know there's a political movement as well in in many countries specifically in in, in the nordics that that don't want cables they don't want they want to keep low prices in their own markets understandable I think, however, that is looking at the current price setups, at the current um, market setups. I think we've all decided or most of us have decided to be in one economic zone to actually kind of compete with the large economic forces around the around the globe, like the US, like India, like China. So therefore, I think it is key that uh, also the whole economic zone of the European continent is actually getting access to cheap energy to be competitive, to actually not only in the energy market, but also wider than that actually be competitive. And I think overall, it does create social welfare, even if it if it temporarily rises prices in in some market, but overall it will decrease prices across the whole sector, and therefore it will also pay back in different aspects. It's it's I think too narrow to just look a, at a single market price and just uh, fix it on that. There are wider aspects of this which which need to be considered. Absolutely, and 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 the platform itself, Daniel, is that something that could potentially be rolled out for other cables or, or other markets? Do you think? Yes, absolutely. So the platform itself was built in a way thinking um, of this eventuality. And we are actually in conversation with multiple interconnectors connecting the UK to mainland Europe, who are also interested in obviously benefiting from the new offering and, and the platform that we have built for, for Britnet. When it comes to obviously flexibility, the offering to the customer, getting much and better data, which obviously when it comes to participants and traders is, is something which they desperately need to optimize their flow, their positions and, and their um, general economical setups. 
If I can talk a little bit, uh, return to you as a talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned negative prices, and that's obviously been, you know, a major factor in the Netherlands with the rollout of solar specifically. And we've also had several instances in the UK in October. How can the interconnector help to ease that kind of imbalance? Yeah, I think I think you, Richard. I think you do need the interconnectors exactly for that purpose. I mean, we have different uh, generation challenges across Europe. Uh, just looking for a moment at the three big uh, markets: uh, UK, France, Germany. You have very different generation fleets. Uh, as we all know, France is heavily relying on on nuclear. Um, had its challenges last summer with uh, with the kind of droughts in the in the rivers for cooling and so on. So had a substantial part of the nuclear fleet out of operation. We have Germany, which has kind of maybe too fast moved out of all the carbon generation, more or less, and then kind of very heavily relying already on on renewables. And now with uh, with the gas crisis, have had seen a setback in that. And we have the UK, which is, I think, generally quite a good mix still, but has a generation problem in itself. So generally too low, uh, too low amounts of generation often. And I think the answer to that is basically su- sufficient interconnection, because if you if you combine the three markets, then you probably have the ideal generation mix. But if you see them in isolation, you don't. And therefore, you do need the interconnections to actually help each other out in the in the situation where one of the generation types is not performing, but another one is. And I think if you extend that view across Europe, you see that even more. You have hydro in the Nordics, you have large uh, solar in the south. Spain is, is huge in solar in the meantime. And you do need the interconnections for that to actually, in a best way, utilize your energy sources. It's going to get more complex, uh, potentially with more instances of neg- negative prices. I mean, we're going into the winter where that maybe isn't such, an, such a huge issue, except on very windy days of low demand. But, um, you know, there are plans to roll out energy islands and offshore parks. Where does that place the role of cables? I mean, it's obviously they obviously are a central part of, of bringing that power to these markets, right? Yeah, it absolutely is. I think there are a lot of interesting questions around these kind of energy islands. I think one of them would be in which bidding zone do they actually fall? Will they be their own bidding zone and have their own prices or will they be allocated to one of the countries connected to it? That will obviously impact how it will play out for the rest of the uh, ecosystem there. And I think also there's a lot of questions still how, for example, the wind connectors that would connect two countries but also offshore generation, how would they function? How would they actually be integrated into the market? I do still think that if we want to see in the future a North Sea offshore network, which most TSOs are working on and are striving towards, then I think there's definitely room for both. I think you will need the point-to-point connections with established market setups, and you will need the energy islands, which are probably heavily boosted by that time by wind generation. Also for the reason that you mentioned before, Richard, it might not always be the right day for the wind, but you still want to see the power flows. And I think the more interconnection, the better for our energy landscape at the moment and with the vast integration of renewables. But in a way, I can see why you'd say that, <laughs> being a, you know, a representative of, of a interconnecting a company or a, or a cable, of course. But if, Daniel, the platform itself can deal with this level of complexity, right, with more added uh, offshore wind parks, uh, more fl- you know, flows actually being you know, changing on an hourly, maybe on a minute-by-minute basis, I mean, that, this is perfectly doable. Yes, that's correct. So we actually had multiple conversations with Niels um, about the upcoming multipurpose interconnector between the Netherlands and the UK and see how we could maybe repurpose this platform to cater for, for such 
a complex flow when obviously you have a generation in the middle and you need to decide where to flow it and obviously it's 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 acting as both a interconnector for the participants and also as a transfer vessel for the power generated by by the wind so it's it's something which we have had conversations and definitely we could repurpose it in a way to even cater for I'm not sure about minute-to-minute flow. Like, okay. yes, the, the technology could do it uh, from a, a digital perspective, but I don't know if the actual control system <laughs> is able to change directions that quick. Absolutely. Gentlemen, thank you very much for a very interesting and, and lively conversation. I think it's it, it's absolutely clear that if we are to meet our net zero targets to decarbonize uh, in the way that we want to, both in the UK and in Europe, we we have to focus on the cables and bringing the power to where it's needed. So thank you very much for joining the Montel Weekly Podcast. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you.